0: make your way to your seats and we'd ask you to join us
1: and stand and let's worship god together
0: Of all Gods, praise yet God. our Christ again, alleluia.
1: So good to be singing with you all this morning. I'm very thankful that you're here to lift up our Lord and glorify him together this morning. And if you don't have a reason yet uh, that you've thought of this morning why you should worship God, then let me read to you Psalm 103. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us, according to our sins. That alone, whew, that, that's a big deal. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that is a tremendous encouragement. No matter how your week has gone this week, uh, your worship to the Lord this morning is not acceptable to him based on how well you did. It is only acceptable because of what Jesus has done. He is the object of our salvation and our faith. And so for that, we give God all the thanks this morning. We are glad you're here to do that with us this morning. If you would, please take out your worship folder. This right here. Inside this worship folder, you'll find all sorts of information about what's going on in the church. And inside, you'll also find this small checking card. And it would be a big blessing to us if you just take a quick moment to fill that out on the piece of paper, or you can do it on the app. We can download for free an app for our church on your phone and do this on your phone really quickly. You can also put any prayer requests that you have on the back of the card. We love to pray alongside with you. At At the end of the service, when you're done with the card, you can just slide it in either of the white tables at either entrance, and that would be a big blessing to us. If you're visiting with us, This morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad you're here. And if you have any questions about the church, we would love to answer those. Um, Any of these people in the room could help you out. Um, But we also have a welcome desk just outside these double doors. And so at the end of the service, if you'd be interested, you can go and um, they would love to meet you, uh, give you more info about the church, and also uh, give you a gift. So we'd highly encourage you to do that. Um, But we're very thankful that you are here. Now, every month, we like to recommend a resource of the month. And thank you, Susan. And so we want to recommend a resource that kind of usually goes along with this, the series that we're preaching on, just to kind of continue supplementing um, some of those topics. And so this is in keeping in vain with the building up the body, but this is a focus on parenting. So the resource of the month is parenting with words of grace. Building Relationships with Your Children One Conversation at a Time by William Smith. Now, if you're like me, I just was convicted by reading the title. Um, And it's actually, as convicting as the book is, it is equally encouraging. And so this book kind of goes through what is biblical parenting all about? I mean, how would you define parenting? You know, it's often our default to kind of think of Parenting, as our, our job is to help our kids when they're struggling with problems and to help them become better citizens of society or hopefully Christians one day. Or maybe we view parenting as it's just a simple job of like, I'm, I got to teach my kids what not to do and what to do. And um, whenever there's tension in the family, it's my job as the parent to help alleviate that. You know, when my, when my desires war against my child's desires. But this book says, no, that is not the goal of parenting. And, but even though it's the tendency we default to, this is what well, William Smith says. He says, parenting doesn't work, as in like doing work. It doesn't work, it woos. The point of parenting is not that things should work better in our homes, that life would be a little easier, and that things would run more smoothly. Parenting requires you to invest time and energy without knowing for sure what the outcome will be. It's about a person To love. And so, this book, like I said, is equally convicting and encouraging because no matter where you're at in your relationship with your children, um, no matter what age they are, whether they're out of the house or a baby, this book would equip you to have a gracious relationship with your children, to faithfully parent for the glory of God. And that's what this book's about. It liberates our parenting from earthly goals and equips us to faithfully parent for God's glory through grace-filled conversations with our children. So this resource is free to you. And if you, at the end of the service, you just go out these double doors. We have a giant resource center and there'll be a table full of these books. So I encourage you to go at the end of the service and pick one up and take it home. Thank you. Um, But before we continue singing, would you please bow your head with me in a word of prayer? Father, we are so thankful, especially after thinking just about the sins and struggles of parenting, so thankful that you do not deal with us according to our sins and our iniquities, that you are so gracious and that you forgive us fully and completely, that our sins are far removed from us as far as the east is from the west, and Father, I pray that you would uh, just overwhelm our hearts with joy this morning, put a song on our lips because of that. And I pray that you would help us also to live like that, to emulate you in being kind and forgiving to our children and to others, just as you have done so to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts and attention upon you this morning, that you would overwhelm us with a sense of joy that, uh, because of who you are and what you have done. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you're able, would you please stand with us as we continue to sing and celebrate the faith we have in Christ.
0: By faith we see the hand of God light of creation's grand design was called to go in the power of the spirit the Lord.
2: Good morning, church. It's so good to see you all here today. And we look forward to worshiping God together through our song and, and meditating on God's word and, and really just enjoying each other's company and fellowshipping. I will go ahead and dismiss uh, children a nursery through kindergarten to head to children's church. Just make your way to the back of the room and you will be uh, directed from there. Would you join me in prayer now? Well, Father God, as we humbly approach you in prayer this morning, we ask that you help us to set aside all our earthly distractions and focus our hearts and our minds on you. As we read in Isaiah, even as the heavens are higher than the earth, your ways and your thoughts are that much higher than ours. And so we ask you for an outpouring of your spirit in our congregation today as we seek to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. And Father, we do confess our own frail humanity and our sinfulness. Thank you for providing forgiveness for us through your Son. Jesus, thank you for willingly leaving heaven and the companionship of your Father to come to this sin-filled earth and show us what perfect obedience looks like. Thank you for going to the cross and providing atonement for the sins of mankind and rising again from the grave on the third day and ascending to to the Father, and even now you are interceding on our behalf, so help us as believers to abide in that uh, glorious knowledge. We all come today with varying levels of needs and concerns, and for some their cups are overflowing with abundance, and for others their cups may be about empty. Father, we ask that you would meet each of us where we are today and teach us from your Word. Our hearts do go out to the Schlappi family and to Roger with the passing of Lynn and we pray that you would be especially near that family this week. We pray that you would bring comfort to them in their time of grief and we pray that as a church we would come alongside them. So we pray that you would bring mercy where it's needed today, bring correction where it's needed and bring renewal of our minds. We're so thankful that your word continues to be taught in its truth in local churches throughout the world, and we specifically uh, pray for Grace Church, our church partner just a few miles away in Morton today. We've been praying for them this week, and we thank you for our partnership that we have in Christ, and so we do ask that you would favor their search for a student pastor. We understand here at Newcastle quite well the amount of work that goes into finding the right fit for a new pastor. and So we ask that you would encourage them and grant them continued patience and bring them the right man for that extremely important role. We do pray that in the meantime their students would continue to be taught well from your word and that parents would be encouraged by the fruit they see in their children. This week we've enjoyed praying for our our brother Scott Cruzy as he continues to serve in such a vital role with the fellowship of Christian athletes and what a ministry that is, thinking about almost 40 huddles now getting started in our area and, and hundreds and if not thousands of students that are eager to learn how to do sports God's way. And it's not only the students, but it's also coaches who are being discipled and taught how to honor the name of Jesus through their everyday actions and, and their everyday life. And so we ask that you bless Scott's ministry and we ask that you'd encourage him where he feels that the work is is never-ending. We pray that you'd renew his heart and his mind, and just continue to bless his work with your favor, Lord. So now we look forward to opening your word and being taught these truths. We're so grateful for Pastor Kevin's study and preparation this week to teach us today, and so we ask that you would guide his message now. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: If you're able, please stand with us as we make this song our prayer, going into hearing the preaching of God's word.
0: Prepare our hearts, O of- free we
3: That is such a great prayer to sing together before the preaching of God's Word. I don't know what's going on in your life, if there's suffering, but God intends for the preaching of His Word to bring you a vision of the glory of Christ so that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt at the end of this message that Christ is Lord even over your suffering. I don't know what battle of sin that you are fighting right now this week, what relationship or conflict you are enduring, but Christ is Lord over that as well. Oh, may God show us Christ so that through the preaching of his word, every heart would confess Jesus is king. Jesus reigns and rules and is worthy of my worship even in whatever I'm going through today. What a great prayer. What a great prayer to prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's Word. Well, let's take our Bibles and continue our worship by opening our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand, nice and tall. We have Bibles. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word that you can use in today's service or even take home as our gift to you today. So today we're going to conclude Ephesians chapter 4 by getting very, very practical and talking about the difference that our salvation makes in our relationships with each other. So our new identity in Christ, this this new uniform of Christ-like love that, that God has put on for us and given us the mind of Christ, this new identity in Jesus necessarily changes how we interact together as Christians. So as we read through Ephesians 4, please consider how you think and act, how you walk and talk with other believers, with other people around you. Ephesians 4 is first focused on the unity of God's church together and the relationships with other Christians before it can be applied to non-Christian relationships. So think specifically this morning about how you think about and how you talk with and how you relate with other Christians, even in our own local assembly here at Newcastle Bible Church. Do your relationships with others look more like the world's relationships with the world or does it look more like the worthy walking that's consistent with Ephesians chapters one to three? When you speak your mind, what thoughts or beliefs are exposed? How can our relationships with each other rightly reflect the glory of Jesus and His saving grace? You know, one pastor, when he preached through this section of scripture, he titled his sermon, How to Use Social Media Like a Christian. And that's a pretty good title for this message because actually this passage of scripture is street level theology. I mean, this moves right into our kitchen, right into our living room, right into our workplaces and causes us to think about how do we act with other Christians This scripture has really convicted my heart this week and shown me my own sin. So it's just my joy to help do that for you as well. So no, we're gonna pray for expectant, dependent, teachable hearts as we come to God's word with a prayer that he would change us and show us his glory. So if you're able to stand, we're gonna invite you to stand one more time for the public reading of God's word. I'm gonna read from the ESV translation. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 20, just to pick up the context. Ephesians 4, 20. Paul writes, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Christ and were taught in Christ as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires... And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with one another, with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you." This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I want to pray for us before we walk through this text together. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks. That you are not silent, but you speak right into the shoe leather of our relationships and you, you show us what does it look like practically to love others the way you have loved us. So, Father, I pray that you would truly answer our prayers and change us through this message. That, that you would use your word in our hearts to change how we think and renew our minds so that we would be put off the old self and the flesh and we would put on Christ's likeness and true righteousness and holiness. Oh God, if you would do that, then we will be the most joyful people, the most loving people, the most satisfied people, for we will have seen your glory. So we wait eagerly remove all distractions and empower the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit we ask amen well last sunday verses 22 to 24 revealed the three part the three part lesson in the school of Christ for how to change Do you remember the three ways that Christ has made us and recreated us new in Christ? In verse 22, he commanded us to put off the old self. That means die to self and die to anything that's gonna cloud your vision of the glory of Christ. And then he says, be renewed in verse 23 in the spirit of your mind, meaning be converted by God's spirit and receive the mind of Christ. And then verse 24, put on the new self which means practically live out this miracle of Jesus inside you. These are the three necessary steps of repentance. To put off the old, to believe gospel truth, and to put on the new. It's kind of like a three-legged stool. All three legs are necessary, right, for that stool to be functional. A one-legged stool or a two-legged stool is always going to be out of balance. A stool must have at least three legs before it can fulfill its intended purpose. And so likewise, true repentance or true change that pleases God must always follow the pattern of verses 22 to 24. Biblical repentance is a change of mind that creates a change in behavior. So if you just put off, if you just stop sinning, but you haven't changed your mind, you, you haven't put on new habits of righteousness and holiness, then you haven't really changed yet. You haven't repented yet. You're just simply a sinner between jobs. Or on the other hand, if you say, well, I'm just going to work really, really hard to try to put on and, and, and try to really start obeying a whole bunch of rules, but you have not been renewed in the spirit of your mind, you have not received a new way of thinking from Christ, then you will only be a religious legalist. True repentance that comes from God is deeper than behavior modification. Change that pleases God is always a result and an overflow of our salvation. And therefore, it necessarily includes all three steps. For after all, when you are saved, Christ uh, crucified your old self. He put that old self away from you. He crucified your old sin nature of the flesh your hard-hearted thinking of the sin nature was replaced with a tender heart, a converted soul. And God made us a brand new person, all in the likeness of Christ himself. So therefore, a worthy walk of repentance will always follow the same pattern. I don't just stop sinning. I start obeying God because I've been brought to believe something new about God or something more glorious about His grace than I ever believed before. Any change in your life that does not flow from a converted heart or a supernaturally renewed mind will never please God. So after Paul reveals this pattern for spiritual transformation in verses 22 to 24, then the rest of the chapter goes on to give five examples or five expressions of this pattern of repentance worked out in our interpersonal relationships. As we walk through verses 25 to 32, I want you to look for this repeated pattern of what, com- what Paul calls us to put off, what he calls us to put on, and what mindset or what truth he causes us to believe so that would be fueled in this putting off and putting on in our walk. So these convicting verses combine to teach us how Jesus supernaturally transforms your relationships from selfishness to love, all by his amazing grace. This is such good news. Now, admittedly, those of you who have been around Newcastle for a while, you know this. I was heavily tempted this week to preach one message on each of these five different sections, but that's not what we're going to do today. I've done some of that before and some of those messages, I got a whole message on anger and a whole message on giving and a whole message on work and a whole, some of that is on the back of your notes page if you want to do that. But today, we're just going to briefly consider all five of these relational ethics so that we can see in one big picture how Jesus is able to supernaturally transform our relationships with others from selfishness to love. So let's begin in verse 25, where God's grace transforms our relationships from deception to truth. Look at verse 25. Paul says, therefore, in other words, stop. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, since God has made you a new person in Christ since your new way of living should flow out of the new person or the new identity that Christ has made you to be your life should no longer be characterized by lying or deceit that's how evil people live evil people go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived 2 Timothy 3:13 sinners are the ones who exchange God's truth for a lie or what verse 22 calls deceitful lust. Because every unbeliever is enslaved to the devil's demonic deception. But Christians, Christians should no longer live like non-Christians do. We have been made new in Christ. We have been transferred from the kingdom of the darkness to the kingdom of the truth. That's why verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you Christians speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 25 is actually quoting an Old Testament text from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, this is a fascinating text. The prophet gives the first command to the redeemed community. In verse 15, he tells them, fear not, you've been redeemed. And here's his first command of how the redeemed should live. Speak the truth to one another. God's redeemed community should always be marked by truth-telling because God himself is the truth. And we have been given a brand new identity in Christ through the gospel of truth. So those who are now under the control of God's spirit refuse to traffic in lies and deception. Now let's just be really clear. There's all kinds of ways to deceive. Have you ever been tempted to just twist the truth? Or just shade it or color the truth. Or spin it so it somehow makes you look better than really you are. See, no spinning, no shading for selfish gain. No flattery, no exaggeration, no purposefully withholding information so as to mislead or misrepresent reality. Anyone, please listen church, anyone whose life is a habitual flow of deception and lying, is not truly saved. The example of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 should be enough to convince us how seriously God takes truth-telling in the church. So Christian, are you practicing a habitual pattern of speaking the truth? Is your yes mean yes? Does your no mean no? Anything more than that is evil. Does your speaking accurately represent God's reality all the time? Even at those times when the truth puts myself in a worse light or makes me look bad to somebody. See, unbelievers can easily rationalize all kinds of deception and lying, but the saving grace of Jesus transforms lying tongues into tongues that speak the truth in love. Jesus transforms us from selfishness to love when he gives us the mind of Christ because I am one with other Christians. Did you notice the mindset or the reason for truth-telling that Paul gives at the end of verse 25? For we are members of one another. This is profound, We would expect it to say, for we are members of the body of Christ, but it doesn't say that. It says we are members of one another. This is how we know Paul's first concern is about relationships among Christians here inside the church because Christians are mutually united in the same body of Christ and are therefore organically made to be members of one another. Let that sink in. You know, it's it's possible to be part of an organization or a club and not know the other members, not have any relationships with the other people that are part of that same organization or club. But that is not how God designed the church. When you are saved, God puts you inside his body so that you are now organically united with others who are in the same body. So now, if you lie and deceive to another Christian, you're literally harming the same body that you're part of. Deceit is a self-destructive, suicidal, church-destroying sin. Because the eye is lying to the foot and the nose is lying to the head and the ear is lying to the hands. And when that happens, the entire body is suffering harm. Lying and deception are never private sins. They're always corporate and they destroy the unity of the body that God intends. So put off selfish deceit and lying. And remember, God has literally united you organically with all other believers Therefore, it's always in your own best interest and in the interest of the entire body for you to tell the truth. Next, verses 26 to 27 teach us how Jesus transforms our relationships from sinful anger to righteous anger. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So here, the positive command comes before the negative commands. Paul first tells us what to put on. Put on, be angry. And then what to put off. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, once again, this is a direct quote from the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 4, David writes, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And then in verse 8, "...in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety." So do you notice? This is fascinating to me. Psalm 4 also connects anger and going to bed. Anger and letting the sun go down. This is fascinating. Why would the scripture command Christians to be angry? Well, verses 26 and 31 in our text make it clear that we're to put away all sinful anger. So the command to be angry must refer to righteous anger. After all, anger is simply an emotional energy that is employed or used to correct a perceived wrong. Anger is just an emotional energy it's used to correct a perceived wrong. So anger is not always necessarily sinful. Anger that is unselfish and based on love for God and love for others is righteous. This is the kind of anger that God has against the wicked every day. God doesn't just permit righteous anger. God actually commands believers be energized emotionally to pursue his justice out of love for God's name and out of love for the eternal good of others there is such a thing as righteous anger use your emotional energy to better love God and love others and pursue the righteousness and justice that God intends but most of us in our personal experience unlike God we sin with our anger don't we I know I do See, when God gets angry, he's always in control of his anger. But when I get angry, I allow anger to control me. And most often, our sinful anger is caused not by offense against the glory of God, but it's caused by my offended pride. My ego has been offended. Rather than a concern for God's glory and others' eternal good. And so we use the emotional energy of anger sinfully, selfishly, And we sin by either blowing up with our anger or clamming up with our anger. And and both of those sinful ditches fail to use the God-given energy of anger to better love God and better love others. So Paul writes, be angry, but do not sin. And then he gives two Christ-centered beliefs that should transform us from a selfish anger to a loving anger. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Translation, oh church, you need to understand that prolonged anger is deadly. Even anger that starts with righteous anger will quickly sour and become sinful if you keep replaying the tape in your mind and nursing the offense. Do you ever do this? Your pride gets offended or you take vengeance into your own hands and you try to play God and you allow some perceived wrongdoing to just boil and seethe inside of you for days and days. Oh, loved ones, Dear Christians, this is not consistent with our new identity in Christ. Our church needs this reminder today. Please listen to this text. Christians should never be the most angry people on the planet. We've been made alive with Christ, church. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. We've been welcomed into the very presence of a God who is holy and just, who will take vengeance and will make all the wrongs right in the end. Yes, it is at times right to become angry, but it is always deadly to hold on to your anger. Because whenever you hold on to your anger, and you nurse it, and you cherish it, and you turn that anger over and over, your whole soul shrinks to the size of that emotion of anger, and you give Satan an opportunity to twist and distort the truth, to deceive you through your blindness of your offended pride, and usher you right into the unity-killing expressions of pride, bitterness, self-pity, slander, and revenge. Satan doesn't cause our anger, but Satan loves to use our prolonged anger to blind us with bitterness and to have a field day of division within the body. So church, remember this. This is the the renewal of the mind. Prolonged anger has vertical and demonic effects. Jesus transforms angry hearts so that Now, by the power of the gospel, we can resolve anger quickly in the same day that the anger comes. And and when we still go to bed at night with injustice that has not been resolved, we can lay our head down on our pillow with faith in a sovereign, righteous God who promises to make it all right in the end. And we can sleep in peace because we are trusting God with the injustices of our lives rather than seeking to make others pay on our own demand. Next, verse 28 teaches how God's grace transforms hearts from stealing to sharing. Again, I want you to see the threefold pattern here. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. So what's the put off? Anybody tell me what's the put off in this verse? Stealing, right? What's that mean? That's just taking something that doesn't belong to you. By the way, did you catch this? Stealing is just covetousness in action. Stealing is just greed in action. This is how unbelievers live. We, we studied that a couple of weeks ago. Well, what's the put on? If the put off is stealing, what's the put on? You might be tempted to say hard, honest work, but that probably doesn't go far enough because even unbelievers can value hard, honest work that accumulates wealth for oneself over time. Only Christians have spiritually renewed minds that believe that my money is for serving others, not for me. God's ultimate purpose for our wage earning is always sacrificial generosity, not selfish accumulation. We're some of the richest Christians in the history of the planet. Let's make sure our minds are renewed. A thief is no longer a thief. Once he honestly earns enough money to sacrificially start to give to others' legitimate needs, he doesn't just work to have, he works to give. Oh, there are so many ways, creative ways, that unbelief tempts our hearts to steal today. We overcharge for our services. That's stealing. We don't pay our employees what we should. That's stealing. We join the great resignation of our time, which is basically just a code word for saying we don't work as hard as we used to work, and we slack off, and we no longer care so much about making our employer successful for the glory of God. That's stealing. Stealing adopts the unbelieving mindset that's very, very common today. The unbelieving mindset that my job and my employer exists to serve me. That's stealing. Because you refuse to recognize that my faithful, honest work is an expression of my worship to God. So Jesus transforms our relationships from selfishness to love when our minds are renewed with the desire to share with others, just as God has graciously shared with me. Oh, after all, church, once you are treasuring all that God has given to you in Christ, you will never, ever steal. For you have been chosen by God. Can I remind you of all the ways God has, what God has given to you in Christ, Christian? You have been chosen by God. You have been adopted by God. You have been made alive together with Christ. All of your sins, yes, all of your sins have been forgiven. You have been sealed and eternally kept by the power of God's spirit. You are seated even now in the heavenly places with Christ. You have been given personal access to knowing God and being with Him forever. You've been lavished with the immeasurable love of Christ. Ephesians 3.19 says, in Christ you have been given all the fullness of God Himself. And once you come to believe these gospel realities, you will never need to steal. Instead, your heart, that covetousness, that greed will be replaced with joy, a bubbling joy that overflows with a sacrificial generosity to share with others all that God has given to you. Then in verses 29 to 30, God, uh, Paul goes from our money back to our mouth, teaching how Jesus transforms our relationships from destructive words to constructive words, from destructive words to constructive words. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So that's the put off, corrupting talk. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. So Christian, put on edifying or helpful words that share God's grace with others. In verse 15, up above, Paul had commanded Christians to speak the truth to one another in love. Here he says, speak grace to one another. How do you do that? What does it mean to talk grace, to speak grace to other Christians? Well, that means my words are being used to build or strengthen their faith. My words are being used to increase their joy in Christ. My words are giving grace and strength to their life in Christ. And I know for me this week this verse was very, very convicting, very humbling. I confess to you, I don't live like this in my home with my family. It's not good. It's not befitting of a Christian corrupting talk what what does that mean corrupting talk it it literally the word corrupting means rotten or foul you know uh, a couple years ago uh, we in our in our home we accidentally tripped a circuit breaker we didn't know we had done it but that circuit breaker was supplying electricity to our freezer and that freezer was full of meat So we we tripped this circuit breaker, cutting off the power to the freezer, and we didn't know it, and then we left for a two-week vacation. And we got home after two weeks and we walked in the house. You know how it is, you come back, you're so glad to be home, and you walk in the house, and and we we were immediately met with this putrid odor. I mean, honestly, if I if I think about it too long right now, it'll still make me wanna gag. The the meat had bled out the bottom of the freezer and there's a pool of blood on the floor. The eye-watering stench of that rotten, putrid, spoiled meat is exactly what God thinks of the selfish heart that abuses and uses people with our words. This kind of speech has no place in the heart that has been renewed by God's grace. After all, what renewing truth does verse 30 give to motivate uh, grace, grace gift words and life giving words among Christians? He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Translation My sin grieves God. Our relational sins towards one another in God's family doesn't just harm these other people. It sickens God. You say, well, can you help me understand what does what the sealing of the Holy Spirit have to do with our relational sins? Well, remember, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, God's Spirit is the guarantee of our internal inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is always working to preserve Christians' faith, to keep Christians in Christ until they reach glory. One of the the jobs or one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to keep us safe until we reach glory. But whenever Christians lie to each other, whenever Christians nurse sinful anger, Whenever Christians steal from each other or tear down one another with our rotten words, Christ's body is torn down. It's not built up. Christ's, Christ's body is divided and, and, and split apart instead of united. And all these relational sins work against the keeping ministry of God's Spirit among us. Because the way that the Holy Spirit Christian is by preserving the unity of the spirit by building up believers in the faith by assuring us of Christ's love for us but all these relational sins work directly against the spirit's keeping and therefore grieves and sickens God himself your sins are not merely horizontal they have a vertical element to them Therefore, Paul concludes with verses 31 and 32 that are actually summaries of how God's grace transforms our relationships from fighting to forgiveness. Or you could say it this way, Jesus transforms our hearts from peace breakers to peace makers. Verse 31 lists all kinds of six different sins which need to be swept away by the grace of God in our life and put off. Bitterness is the first one. That's the smoldering resentment of unresolved conflict or anger. Wrath, that's the rage of hot passion. Anger refers to the settled state of offended pride. And then these divisive relational sins, they go audible. They go audible in all kinds of clamor and slander. Now, clamor is not a word that we use a lot of. I, I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant. Clamor basically refers to a shouting match. So clamor is the spiteful shouting match that occurs when we lose self-control. That's clamor. Slander refers to verbal blasphemy, either against God or against others by, by seeking to harm or defame others with cursing or ill will, ill speech, evil speech. Verse 31 sums up all these kinds of relational sins as all kinds of malice. Now, when I, when, I, when I read malice, I thought hatred, but actually that's not what this word means. This word malice means all kinds of evil, all kinds of wickedness. So in brief, Christians are exhorted to urgently have these kinds of relational sins swept away from you, put out of your experience by the power of God's transforming grace. Instead, verse 32 gives three Christ-like virtues that we receive from God's spirits to practice in view of our final gospel truth. Verse 32 calls Christians to be kind. It doesn't say do kindness. It says be. Be kind to one another. And that's supernatural. Kindness does not come naturally to anyone. Kindness cannot be produced by any human effort Galatians 5.22 reminds us that kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit because what is kindness? Kindness is that God-given posture to be good or pleasant or agreeable with someone who's being disagreeable. And next, Christians are to be tender hearted or compassionate towards others. Now, now just for kicks and giggles, think with me for a minute. What's the opposite of tender-hearted? Hard-hearted. Just like our former unbelieving self back in verse 18, right? So God takes the hard-hearted and he gives us a tender heart, a new heart. And the tender-hearted are not only kind to others, but they also continue to forgive others just as God has forgiven us in Christ. Now, it's interesting to me that this, this language in verse 32 translates the word as forgiving, because it's not the typical Greek word for forgiving. It's actually the word that means gracious, And because graciousness includes forgiveness, I think that's actually probably even a better translation. It's better translated here to say, as being gracious to one another, as God in Christ has been gracious to you. After all, it is God's grace that transforms relationships from selfishness to love. So I am miraculously able to be kind and forgive and show grace to others who don't deserve it simply because God has been so gracious to me. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says, God poured out his kindness upon me by his grace so that now that I've received God's kindness, I'm supernaturally enabled to be kind. In chapter 4, verse 23, it says, God renewed my mind. He converted my heart. He, he gave me a tender heart so that now I can be tender-hearted and compassionate to others. And in verse 32, he says, God has been gracious to me so now that I can be gracious to others. Think about the grace you've received from God, church. God forgave all your sins. How can we then dare to not Forgive anyone who has sinned against us. You see, then, Jesus transforms your relationships from selfishness to love. Grace overcomes our hardwired anger and bitterness with a tender heart, with a spirit powered kindness, with reciprocal grace. Oh, there's no doubt, is there, that our new position in Christ is radically different than who we used to be before we were saved in verses 17 to 19 above? So here's the call from today's text for all of us. In light of Ephesians 4, I'm going to urge you from the authority of this text that every Christian is urged to put off selfishness and put on love all in response to God's grace. Remember our three-legged stool from the beginning of this message. All three steps of repentance must be in place if we're gonna grow and change in a manner that's pleasing to God. I'm after far more than just behavior modification. Jesus wants far more than just us to tweak our behavior. This is a supernatural heart transformation that comes from God's grace that changes our desires from the inside out So that our hard-heartedness is replaced by a tender heart and our selfishness is actually replaced with a supernatural love. So don't miss this. You won't experience Jesus' transformation in your relationships with others. You won't experience Jesus moving your life from selfishness to love until you repent of your sins. And you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. You must believe, loved ones, please. You must believe that Jesus went to the cross and died to pay for your selfishness. He died to pay for your lying. He died to pay for your sinful anger. He died to pay for all of your sins. And then three days after he died on that cross, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was dead. He died for our sins, but he came back to life. It's called the resurrection of Jesus so that all those who believe on Jesus can now walk in newness of life. Jesus ascended to the Father where he is today interceding for us so that he could send the helper, the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit can help you and I to walk in that newness of life and to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. You you cannot experience the the miraculous transformation of relationships until you believe on Jesus, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. So have you believed? Have you believed in Jesus' death and resurrection for your salvation from your sin? Have you seen that your sin against God is the greatest problem in your life and only Jesus can solve it, but he wants to and he's willing to, you just must repent and believe. Today's the day of salvation, loved ones, so that you can be born again by the power of God's Spirit. And then if you are saved, for those of you who are born again, the Spirit of God is active in you, ruling over your life. Think honestly about your relationships with other people for a moment. Ask yourself, Are my relationships with others characterized by gospel truth or by deception? Are my relationships with others characterized by sinful anger or by self-control and faith in a sovereign God regarding the injustice around me? Are my relationships with others characterized by stealing or sharing? Are my relationships with others characterized or filled with destructive words Putrid words or constructive, life-giving words? Are my relationships with others filled with fighting or forgiving? You will never be able to put on Christ-likeness in your relationships until your mind has been renewed and washed with the gospel realities that Paul has taught us today. The gospel realities of your oneness with other Christians the demonic realities of prolonged anger, the God-given purpose for your money and possessions, the purpose of God's spirit in our community, and the marvelous grace of God that has been shown and lavished upon you through the person and work of Jesus. Oh, these are the mind-renewing truths that will transform your soul from the inside out. So church, gaze upon the glories of God, He's been so kind to you. He's been so compassionate to you. He's been so forgiving of you. Jesus has transformed your relationship with God so that now your relationships with others can be transformed from selfishness to love. May God help all of us to walk in unity and to walk in love that he has given us and created for us in his body. Let's pray. So Father, we do want to say thank you. Thank you for being a God of salvation. Thank you for being a God who doesn't just call us to clean ourselves up before you help us, but thanks for being a God who meets us in our sin and transforms us from the inside out all by your grace. God, I want to pray right now that you would forgive us for our selfishness. We've looked at five different expressions of selfishness that's common in many of our lives. Father God, please forgive us from these sins, these body-destroying sins. And cleanse our thinking. Renew our minds by the power of your Spirit. Help us to believe the truth and to truly delight in it so that we might put on Christ. And we might experience the joy of love and joy of generosity and the joy of truth-telling. Oh God, please, work the miracle for the sake of your name, we ask. Amen.
1: Well, after hearing a text like that, it can uh, either be really discouraging or maybe even a little overwhelming as you kind of evaluate your own life and see the areas where we all need to grow in and pursuing holiness. And when we look to Christ, we often look to him uh, in hope uh, when we face our death. When we're thinking about sitting on our deathbeds, we look to Christ for hope alone. But we don't always look to him for hope in life. And so the song that we're going to close and respond with reminds us that Christ is not only our hope in death, but also our hope in life when we're pursuing holiness. So would you please stand with us as we sing?
0: our only confidence that our souls to him belong who holds our days within his hand what comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand Yeah, yeah. Dance stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of pride? Oh, we sing, Hallelujah! Yeah.
3: Such good news. Jesus is our hope. Our sure confidence is Christ. He died because He loved us, to pay for all of our sins, so that He could bring many sons to glory. Oh, this world is not our home. Church, be encouraged. Christ is our hope. When we have Jesus, We have all that we need. He is our shepherd. We shall not suffer any lack. So, we're going to pray our benediction together uh, from Ephesians chapter 3. And I pray that uh, God will answer this prayer this week among us for the sake of his name. Let's pray it out loud together, starting with the reference Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all those who have received God's saving grace would say, Amen. You are dismissed.